Listener Production. In this episode of The Briefing, why finding a psychologist seems impossible. I had a nine-month wait from when I booked it in. Some of the stories about wait times are heartbreaking. The COVID years saw a big surge in demand for mental health care. We're always encouraged to put our hands up and seek help, but it's often months away or just actually impossible. So I've basically had my books closed for about four months now, and I don't think I'm going to be taking on any new clients until the new year. So in this episode, we'll hear some stories from you, the briefing community, and from that psychologist you just heard. Uh, She has her own professional experience and a broader overview of the sector. So we'll find out why it's taking so long to find a psychologist. We'll also bring up the issue of the Medicare-supported sessions. At the moment, we get 20, but that's due to end the end of this calendar year. So will Labor step in and change that or will we go back to 10 sessions? That's all in our briefing in the second half of this podcast. First, here are today's headlines with Katrina Blowers. It is Monday, the 28th of November. Anthony Albanese is set to pass his industrial relations bill this week after securing the support of independent Senator David Pocock. The decision by the crossbenchers to back uh, Labor's bill, uh, which will guarantee more secure work and better pay, is the right one. So this is the legislation that allows workers to band together across different uh, employers to negotiate a better pay deal. So this has been, um, I guess, debated, hotly debated in Parliament for several months now. So they've come up with a bunch of changes to the bill that will win over the Greens and Senator David Pocock, who was the last one to hold out. Uh, the bill won't apply to workers in the construction sector. It won't apply to businesses with fewer than 20 staff, so small businesses. And for businesses with fewer than 50 employees um, who don't want to negotiate, unions will have to show why the business should be part of it. Yeah, so quite a few carve-outs there. And and those are the changes David Pocock pushed for, along with an annual review of JobSeeker. Having this independent committee, I think, will raise uh, awareness about the state of Social Security payments. Yeah, so that was David Pocock there. It's interesting, Katrina, I think, that some of these huge and important pieces of legislation are all coming down to David Pocock. We spoke to him Mm. before the election when he was running, and I asked him, you know, if you don't end up with a balance of power, what's the what's the point of going into Parliament? <laughs> As it turns out, um, the Teals in the lower house don't hold the balance of power, um, but in certain scenarios, quite a few of them, he does in the Senate. So, so much yeah. pressure on him. Absolutely, a huge amount of pressure. Uh, the other big story coming out of Canberra this week will be a potential censure motion against Scott Morrison over his secret portfolios. So the Labor Cabinet will decide early this week whether they take that censure motion to Parliament for a vote. I, I had to look up what that was because there's hardly been any of them. Mm. Uh, the last one um, was an MP called Bruce Bilson back in 2018. He was a Liberal minister who took a paid lobbying job mm. while he was still an MP. So a censure motion, it doesn't mean you have to leave the chamber or be stood down for a period of time or anything like that. It just is a, I guess, an extreme sign of disapproval from your colleagues. So a little more than a slap on the wrist. Um, So that will be decided early this week, whether they take that censure motion to parliament for a vote. Yeah, well, it will be hugely embarrassing 
I'm not sure if even Scott Morrison will be able to smirk that one away. Um, I was reading over the weekend the justice who ran the inquiry, which was um, released into the Secret Ministries portfolio, uh, that was Virginia Bell. She tried really hard to get Scott Morrison to speak to her as part of the investigation, and he refused to speak to her, and then through his lawyers told her to refer to his earlier Facebook statements. So (laughs) really not stepping up and facing accountability there. Yeah, that's a little bit insulting, isn't it? Speaking of trouble for the Liberal Party, the Victorian Party is looking for a new leader after failing in the Victorian election over the weekend. Yeah, so Daniel Andrews won his third election and will now be the second longest serving Premier in Victorian history. I'm not about legacies. I'm about working hard and getting things done. And I reckon Victorians have figured that out. And that's why, uh, perhaps one of the reasons why, uh, they have re-elected us. Yeah, I reckon there's quite a few reasons. Labor did see a swing of nearly 9% against it in Melbourne's northwest, but ultimately didn't lose any seats to those areas being held by such a wide margin. The Nationals had a pretty good campaign. They won three seats off independence, um, while the Teals didn't get any seats in Victoria. Um, the Greens did pick up a seat, though. And four contenders will battle it out for the Liberal Party leadership after Matthew Guy announced he was quitting following the loss. Uh, he had a pretty, not a great result at the last election too, so I guess that's why he's standing down. But I've been reading some analysis, Tom, about, you know, internally within the Liberal Party, why they think it was so on the nose this time around as well. They've, of course, blamed an issue with the Federal Liberal Party, which I guess is an easy one. But they say they also failed uh, in the East, in, in Melbourne's East, to get across some issues that were really important to the Asian community. So they've got some reparation work to do there. Yeah, they struggled in some of those traditionally liberal seats, the wealthier seats in the eastern suburbs. But it was interesting to see that the Teals weren't able to capitalise on that dissatisfaction. A lot of people are watching that closely because the Teals will also be trying to win some seats in the New South Wales state election next year. You know, coming off their huge success in the federal election, um, it's clear they're not going to have that kind of success at every election. So people will wait and see what happens next year in New South Wales. Protests have been spreading across China as anger at the country's harsh COVID zero policy reaches breaking point. The lockdown measures have now been in place for three years. Yeah, so what you're hearing there is thousands of protesters in Shanghai chanting Step Down, Xi Jinping, Step Down. They've also been chanting Communist Party, Step Down. So that's not something you hear very often in China. Um, There are reports that some of the protesters have been bundled into police cars, some have been beaten and pepper sprayed by police. The demonstrations were sparked after 10 people died in the western province of Xinjiang when their apartment block went up in flames. It's believed they couldn't get out because of COVID barricades across their doorways. And this footage is of a woman screaming to open the doors. Yeah, it's crazy this stuff is still happening in China, um, that they haven't been able to pivot out of their, their zero tolerance COVID approach. It's not working. It's really damaging their economy. As you can hear in this story, it's causing civil unrest and their case numbers are still at an all-time high. 
There's been a major breakthrough in the Toya Cordingley case. Now, Toya is the 24-year-old Queensland woman who was killed on a beach north of Cairns back in 2018 while she was walking her dogs. So the main suspect, uh, Rajwinga Singh, an Australian nurse of Indian origin, fled to India just days after the death. Then after years of dead ends, the Queensland government offered a $1 million reward and on Friday... They managed to find him after being tipped off he was travelling to a doctor's appointment in New Delhi. So there are now moves to extradite him to Australia, but Toya's family have heard that unless he pleads guilty, this could take years and years. Over the weekend, we learned what Singh has told police, and that is that the night Toya was killed, he went to Wongeti Beach after having a fight with his wife, and he took some fruit and also a kitchen knife with him, and he's told police that he then got into an argument with Toya accordingly over her barking dog. So his next court date is is on Wednesday. And the Socceroos are one win away from the knockout stage of the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. They beat Tunisia 1-0 over the weekend and will face Denmark on Thursday. Who do you think Princess Mary's going to go for? This is going to be <laughs> awkward for her. <laughs> Surely Stuck between a rock and a hard place. The Demons have won the AFLW Grand Final in Brisbane, beating the Lions 19-15. And my beloved but sometimes vexed Wallabies uh, won their last game of the year yesterday morning. This was an absolute <laughs> thriller. So I, I nearly switched off. Um, they were 21 points down with about 20 minutes to go and turned it right around at the end. So after a pretty tough year as a Wallabies fan, it was an amazing way to finish. That must have wiped a few years off your life, though. That amount of stress. <laughs> but I love it when it's a comeback like that. Right at the finish, it makes for a super exciting game. Uh, and we've also got some big media news. The new host of A Current Affair will be Ali Langdon. Congratulations to Ali. She's a lovely, lovely lady. And that means a new face on Today alongside Carl Stefanovic, and that will be Sarah Arbo from 60 Minutes. Yeah, so lots of musical chairs in the media over the last few weeks, but that's a, a really significant appointment. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you tomorrow in the headlines. In just a moment, why it's so hard to find a psychologist. Okay, now to our briefing on how hard it is to find a psychologist. We're at the point now where one in three psychologists have no more room for new clients at all. That's according to the latest health index survey of 11,000 people. So a substantial number of people are waiting at least three months. Some are waiting even longer. Some are giving up on the search for help. The other issue we'll get into is the cost. It's impossibly expensive for many people. And... As I mentioned at the top of the show, the number of Medicare-supported sessions is about to go back from 20 to 10. So we're about to find out what's going on with an industry insider. But first, I want to find out what's going on with you. We reached out for some of your experiences. Here's one of the responses we got from a listener who didn't want to be named. 
It took me about three months to even get in to see someone. And also with the six free sessions as well, depending on who you see, uh, it's only subsidised for part of the cost. So at the moment, I pay about $220 and then I get money back. I end up paying $90 and that's per session. Uh, when the six run out as well, I, I can see the GP and try and get that renewed, but I then do have to pay for the GP bill on top of that too and visit them in person as it can't be done via telehealth. Okay, I'll play you another voice memo we got. This one from a briefing listener called Melinda. It's not as simple as, oh, find a psychologist, book in an appointment, get a mental health care plan. It's not like a simple step-by-step process. It's it's like, what am I battling with today to be able to have enough juice in the tank to function as a normal person as well as like booking an appointment for myself. It's like a toss-up. Am I going to brush my teeth today or am I going to eat a food or am I going to book an appointment with a psychologist? Locking in a psychiatrist was even harder. I had a nine-month wait from when I booked it in. I think what that message brings home is that people that are looking for help, by definition, are in a really vulnerable state. So the hard work and the setbacks that go into looking for help and then failing or being put on a really long wait list are sometimes too much for people. So let's get a sense of these problems, what's going on with psychologist Sarah O'Doherty. As well as being a practicing psychologist, she's also a director of the Australian Association of Psychologists, so that gives her a good overview. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. How would you sum up the situation at the moment when it comes to accessing mental health support in Australia? I see there being three main issues. There's the difficulty in going to get the mental health care plan from your GP. Mm. There's definitely a cost issue. And there is often really long wait times and finding the right psychologist for you um, as an individual. So those are the three main issues. All right, let's break it apart on the basis of those three issues. So starting with going to the GP for the mental health plan, why are there challenges there? What's wrong with that process? So at the moment, when you do want to go and see a psychologist and claim those Medicare rebates, you do have to get that mental health care plan in order to do so. So that means, first of all, having a good relationship with a GP. And if you don't have a good relationship with a GP or you maybe go down to the local medical centre and see whichever GP is available, you're then having to go through pretty much a half an hour to an hour assessment with that GP where you're talking about your mental health issues, potentially with someone that you're not feeling entirely comfortable with. And so that process then allows you to get that mental health care plan. You're then able to go and find a psychologist, which I'll talk more about Mm. in a minute. Um, But then after you've seen that psychologist for the initial six sessions, you go back to the GP after the subsequent four sessions, you go back to the GP. So there's quite a lot of a process of checking in with different providers. Right. So you go to start with, you have an intensive consultation to, I guess, essentially see what help you need, but also that you qualify for that Medicare support. Then you're going for a second time after six sessions, then a third time after another four sessions? That's correct, yes. And then with the COVID additional 10 sessions that have been allowed during the pandemic, you would have to go again after that 10 sessions if you wanted to continue with a psychologist and continue to claim the rebates. So four trips to the doctor? Basically, yeah, mm. aside from any in-between stuff that you might need yeah. as well. So you've really got to have a good, comfortable relationship with that GP. Okay, so then to the next problem, which is getting a psychologist and not having to wait forever, basically. So is it usually the, the GP that recommends you 
the options in terms of psychologists? Is that where people find their psychologists mostly? Usually, yes. So a GP will normally have a few decent contacts with psychologists in their local area. But the difficulty I find is finding a psychologist who is able to, first of all, match and and treat that client for their particular symptoms or their particular mental health condition, and then be able to get onto a decent wait time, a wait list for Mm. that psychologist the wait time for psychologists is more than four to six weeks. Mm. So there's a really long wait time to get into a psychologist and that might not even be your preferred psychologist. Yeah, and the figures are worse in in some surveys. There's a a survey called the Australian Healthcare Index which came out this week and one third of psychologists were unable to see new clients at all at the moment. So how bad are the wait times in some areas? I mean, what, what are you seeing in your practice? So I've basically had my books closed for about four months now, and I don't think I'm going to be taking on any new clients until the new year. Um, And so what we're doing at the moment is we're actually, in my practice, looking up the different psychologists in our local area and telling our clients or the new clients who want to call in and book in with us to ring around and go and put themselves onto wait lists at different practices. And the problem with that is if a person is already feeling depressed or Mm. not not have a lot of motivation or maybe high anxiety or stress, that pressure put on them to go and ring around, you know, three or four or five different practices and get on various wait lists is so onerous on them. So is it quite common that people are waiting for periods of six months or more? In my experience, it can be. Mm. So it can be quite a long process for people. And the devastating thing about that is that you have to get to a pretty tough spot before you even reach out to the GP. So absolutely, you hit rock bottom, you finally push through that I guess that barrier of reaching out for help, but it starts with the GP and then the process just gets more convoluted and extended from there. That's absolutely right. And the Medicare process is so difficult for patients and clients, the general public to navigate. But let me tell you also, Tom, it's really difficult for us as psychologists to navigate as well. And so with all of the legislative changes that have happened in the last three years, we're constantly having to keep up with Medicare legislation to let Mm. us know when we're needing to do all of that report writing back to the GP and communication about the mutual patient. So it's a really challenging process. We're actually calling for that process to be simplified. Okay. So in some areas, wait times are a nightmare. Let's talk about the cost. How much does the Medicare rebate cover per session and how much extra out-of-pocket expense is there on average? The average cost for a a person coming in to see a psychologist is somewhere between $176 and $200. And so that's about the standard fee or consultation fee that we would charge. And the Medicare rebate covers $89.65. So if you see um, a particular kind of psychologist who has clinical endorsement, their Medicare rebate is about $129. So they might also then charge more on top of that. So the out-of-pocket fee tends to remain the same. The Medicare rebate tends to cover about 50% of a consultation fee. So roughly speaking, you're going to be shelling out $100 of your own money, uh, potentially for 10 or 20 sessions. So you're talking about $1 or $2,000. 
it's a lot of commitment at the moment and it is so hard for a lot of people. So for instance, I work primarily with adolescents and young adults and unless they've got a really well-paid job Mm. or unless they're getting support from their families, we're having to do uh, what we call a sliding scale of fees. So we would charge a student rate or a young person rate or a pensioner concession rate for, for those people coming in to see us. Um, and then they would get a lower fee and therefore pay a bit less out of pocket. Mm. Oh, it's so tough, isn't it? It really is. So we're trying to advocate for that Medicare rebate to be made higher. Mm. So the AAPI is advocating for the Medicare rebate to be $150 per session across the board for whatever, whoever psychologist you choose to see. Okay. And what that would mean is I would go back to bulk billing. So many people, so many psychologists would go back to bulk billing and there wouldn't be an out-of-pocket cost. Yeah, so how much bulk billing is available for psychologist appointments at the moment? So 49% of respondents to the AAPI survey reported that they never bulk bill and 37% of respondents reported that they sometimes bulk bill and that was previously. So at the moment, there are... So many people who, unfortunately, because psychologists work in private practices, which is a small business, bulk billing just hasn't been a sustainable business model. And so we've had to charge that out-of-pocket fee. Okay, so let's go to the question of why we're in this situation. Why is there so much undersupply of psychologists? Why are the wait times so long? So there's only about three or four organizational psychology courses around in Australia these days. Um, And I think one or two sports psychology courses left in Australia these days. So there's just been a bottleneck in terms of people who want to be psychologists actually qualifying to become psychologists. So the university system needs a shakeup? 100%. To get more psychologists through the system and out working. You're also calling for a bigger Medicare contribution so that it's more sustainable for more psychologists to bulk bill? And more affordable for patients. I think that if if patients could come in and not have to pay anything out of pocket Mm. or pay something like 50 bucks or under per session out of pocket, that makes it far more sustainable for that client to get the right kind of mental health support that they need. And are you also advocating for the government to keep the supported sessions at 20 rather than go back to 10 at the end of the year? Absolutely. So the way that I tend to see clients is fortnightly. Um, And I think that if we do tend to see clients at that level of frequency, we burn through 10 sessions in six months. Mm. And then what does that person do for the remaining six months of the year? If they start with me in January, they're not eligible for a new mental health care plan until the following January. So they would have to be out of pocket or using private health insurance. And that's a whole big mess at the moment. Wow, there's a lot that needs to be done here, isn't there? And this all comes at a time of increasing awareness around mental health. We're all being encouraged to to talk about it and to seek help. But when seeking help comes to such a, a dead end, it's so disheartening. It really is. And I think that even things like, you know, we all fall back on things like Lifeline and Beyond Blue. And can you imagine calling one of those places and being on hold for an hour or sometimes longer than that Mm. when you're desperately in crisis and wanting to speak to someone immediately? All of the mental health system at the moment is hugely strained. Do you think this is leading to suicides that otherwise wouldn't happen? 
Tom, I imagine that it would. Unfortunately, I don't have the research to back that up. Mm. But I would say that there is, at the moment, the biggest demand for mental health support that we've ever seen in this country. And I think that it would be a massive detriment on the government if they didn't extend the Medicare sessions um, and continue them at 20 sessions per calendar year. People need support and we are here to support them. We want to be supporting them. It's just so difficult for them to be able to engage with us if they are not being financially supported to do so. That was Sarah O'Doherty from the Australian Association of Psychologists. And we'll let you know if there's an announcement from the federal government about their decision on ending the 20 supported sessions. The clock is ticking. And if hearing this episode has left you feeling like you need help right now, there's always someone to talk to straight away at Lifeline on 13 11 14. Tomorrow on The Briefing, uh, we're looking into a problem you might be able to relate to when your work just keeps coming at you via your phone and your emails. So we'll explore the right to disconnect. Listener.